Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Bonjour, Simon. <laughs> ça va? Ça va bien, monsieur, toi? Yeah, comme ci, comme ça. Yeah, I don't know anymore, I'm out. Yeah, absolutely. I had to think about that as well. Yeah, me too. So if that's for all our French listeners out there. <laughs> How's this week been? Um, yeah, good. I'm mostly recovering today from a sort of an eating challenge last night. Wow. Really? Hot dogs? Yeah, not, too, not too old for eating challenges, it seems. Never. Was it details? Are you going to spill? Or? Well, I was just wondering whether you wanted me to go off piece slightly and not talk about CFD and talk about um, the Chimmy Challenge. Uh-oh. Go on. So <laughs> uh, I quite often go out for some food uh, and a film with a good buddy of mine, um, and we ended up in Chimmy Changa yesterday, and I was feeling quite hungry, and I noticed on the menu... Is that Mexican, a, right? It's Mexican, yeah. yeah. It's like... a. So it's down in Milton Keynes. There's a big long list of them, Prezzo and um, TGIs and all the other stuff, and we kind of rotate. Um, and I was feeling quite hungry, and I noticed that they had a um, Texan platter for four. Uh-oh. So four people share a Texan platter. And then next to it, it said, take the chimmy challenge, which was um, if you can eat the Texan sharing platter for four on your own, in 20 minutes, you can have it for free. Oh, is that uh, man versus food? Well, it was kind of like man, sort of. Um, so, yes, I took it on. I didn't I didn't do the challenge. I didn't quite eat it all. Um, and there was absolutely no way I was going to eat it all in 20 minutes. Um, yeah, and then I rolled into the cinema. So you failed on both counts? Yeah, but it was nice. There was some nice um, pork ribs, nice chicken, some drumsticks, chipotle sauce. It was good. You're making me hungry. That's why I don't watch diners, drive-ins and dives at this time of night. Um, don't, don't watch what? Oh, that's for one for another show. Okay. Um, well, that sounds that sounds immense. So you had plenty of cogitating and digesting time to think of, of cloud-related CFD tales. Um, yeah, a few. Yeah. Are we still on the cloud? We're still on the cloud. Of course. Um, we left the cloud with some few thoughts last week, and we need to remember the cloud from last week. I think, um, we've, I think we've more or less got it covered. Did you look up the AWS snowmobile? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, never mind. That, that's your homework for this week as well. Okay. All right. I'll check in on that next time. Um, and that was a comment related to the Crunchyard um they will deliver you a cluster to your back garden, apparently. Yes. Do you want to start there? Yeah, let's start there. So um, I kind of, I sort of get it from uh, like the ideology of, okay, so you've got some concerns about remote computers. So we've got the computers. We'll just deliver them to you and you can, I guess, pay for the electricity and they'll be uh, set up and ready to go, maybe. I mean, that's the bit I don't necessarily get completely is the whole maintenance upkeep thing. Have you got a nice air-conditioned spare room for them? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know of a friendly Formula One team who had a lot of their compute power in sort of delivered in essentially containers and stacked up outside all ready to go. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess you've got to be... um, You've got to be expecting to use them for quite some time. 
or I mean, it doesn't really strike me as something you do for a week, but maybe you would. Yeah, it doesn't sound very elastic, does it? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I mean, I'm just trying to dig a bit deeper into the, the security aspect. I mean, we, did we did we dig into that last week? I know it's a bit of a um, one of your hot topics. No, I don't think we dug into it particularly, no. Um, I mean, I know that's one of the things that you mentioned for the um, for this, having your, your remote computing delivered and kind of being remote in the back garden. But um, so people having a bit more handle on where their, where their data lives. But I think sort of cloud providers have come a pretty, pretty long way in terms of data security and where it lives and what's encrypted where and who's got access to what and logging this and logging that. I mean, the very fact that some of them are, um, what's the acronym, HIPAA um, regulated, that they can process medical data and things like that. And, you know, all the credit card stuff, that's a different one. I forgot what that one's, different acronym. I forgot what that one's called. Um, and there's an argument to say that, uh, you know, if they're, if they're on top of all that sort of level of data security, they can probably handle the relatively, I mean, CFD data's volume, you know, there's a lot of it, um, but there isn't that many individual files or it's not, arguably, it's not particularly sensitive. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I I guess um, I'm with you on the the realities of the security. Um, I'm just wondering if it's a, you know, it's just a perception problem. Do you think perception and reality are perhaps different yeah i mean despite all of the guarantees and the regulation it's still your really really important new whizzy um inventionally designy thing that's on a computer that you don't know where it is um so i guess you i could see how you could still despite all of the you know known technical protections that you have still not feel comfortable about that i'm maybe not i'm not seeing how that necessarily translates to you having to make all the effort to get the computers delivered. Um, I guess if, you've, if you're the sort of person who's happy getting computers delivered for you to maintain and use for a lengthy period of time, you must be sufficiently IT literate to get the technical reasons why your data is secure on the cloud, if you know what I mean. So I'm kind of looping around on myself there, trying to work out how you, how somebody actually ends up getting a lot of computers if they don't know enough about what's going on anyway. I think it's just a capex versus opex type thing. You know, you you want you want access to a lot of computers. It makes sense to rack them all up in a container that's air conditioned that you can just plug into whatever utilities it requires. Probably just power um, and plonk them all down in one go and take them all away again. As as opposed to, like you say, have you got the the room with the air conditioning and all the rest of the. Uh, all the rest of the shenanigans required to host a, a computer of that size. Because um, it's not trivial. Um, anybody who's broken out beyond a couple of desktops or, or whatever into into a, a rack of blades or, or anything like that knows that uh, it's a sort of step up in complexity that uh, that you need to be prepared to handle. And if that is all handled for you in a container and you've got space in the car park, then... Uh, I can see how that would be a, a great one, especially if it's a, I don't know, we need this for six months or we are moving buildings and we need it for a year till we've got our own one back up and running. Um, 
I can see how there's a there's a definite value prop there. I probably wouldn't have one in my garage or in the garden, um, but then I don't need one. Yeah, no. I mean, so the other one, the other reason that I think they talk about was data transfer implications. I'm pretty sure we dug around that a bit last week. Um, so I, I guess that kind of makes sense if you've got a really heavy. Well, I don't know. You were you were touching last week on the, the kind of cloud philosophy and being quite different in being light in terms of the data you transfer and then heavy in terms of the data that you generate, but you don't necessarily need to bring all of that heavy data back. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of my sort of golden rules of, of cloud compute. Um, and, and one of the things where your local workflow might not fit quite as well as you might imagine remotely um if you're used to prepping big models and, and you know people prep big models in serial with various preprocessors and what have you then that becomes an issue in, if you've then got to post that up to the the cloud wherever that might be um and before you can run you know that's a that's a bottleneck if if particularly if you get into the point where you can measure it as a fraction data transfer time and cost as a fraction of uh, um your, your overall compute time and what have you um it it has an impact on your workflow if however you can mesh remotely and you're pushing a couple of meg maybe even less in terms of um new data per run then it's easy peasy, even if uh, even if you haven't got brilliant uh, internet connection, which I certainly never used to have, and and for 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 years doing that kind of workflow, it it makes you think very carefully about how you separate out bits of config and bits of geometry and things like that that are consistent. I don't want to be pushing the same car body shell every time. If it never changes, if I'm looking at different wing mirrors, for example, or, or, or a, a change in a rear wing position or something like that, um, I want to push the absolute minimum every time I want to do a run. Um, and like you say, this, the, the reverse applies. If I'm having to pull down an entire volume mesh, and let, let's not pretend that in this day and age that's a, a lightweight thing. They're, they're, they're huge even if you throw away bits of data that you might never want to look at um i don't know say you say you chuck away your turbulence data because you're never going to contour it or something like that because it's not it doesn't fit in your in your post processing workflow there'll be one time where you do want it and you've chucked it away or you haven't pulled it down with you and uh, and then then it all starts to again starts to fall apart a bit and particularly if you've got um if you've got multiple people working on stuff, so if you've got a remote team or something like that, and you 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 pulling these jobs multiple times, or you want to send it to a customer or something like that, it it makes it makes a huge difference, and it leads me onto in this discussion the way that some of these different ready-made CFD cloud platforms handle this for you um, in terms of th- there are platforms available now where you don't really have to pull anything back you can do it all remotely um and once you've got your case up and running you're off you're off and off to the races as they say um and there are different 
perspective and different approaches that these companies have taken. I mean, what what was our list last week? Our list was something along the lines that we got SimScale sat probably right up there at the top. Um, and then we've got, you had a list of, uh, of some of the more up and coming startup type, um, platforms that, that have a cloud element to them. I mean, some of them are cloud only, some of them have a cloud offering. The, we starting to see more kind of cloud only, I think. I'm thinking Ingrid Cloud and I would even probably lump SimScale in there as well. Although it is just, it's open foam, um, I don't think it's particularly easy to, I don't think it'd be particularly easy to burst onto SimScale if you've got an open foam process at home. Um, Yeah, maybe a little bit. I think you can, I'm pretty sure you can upload um, cases, but I think that's an interesting one, particularly with SimScale's use of open foam. I'm not sure where they are, but I think last time they were on open foam 2.3 or something. A classic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. One of my favourite two point somethings. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess that's an interesting specific in that regard. Um, and I'm glad you brought workflow up because that was something I wanted to dig around a little bit more with. Um, but in that regard, it's a case of the open the open source side that we've covered a little bit, specifically open phone for the SimScale guys. They've got such um, a relatively complicated delivery tool set around open phone that enables you to run it in the browser that I'm imagining keeping up with the open phone versions up to five now, if you're a foundationer. Um, is a headache for them. So, I mean, it's an interesting balance of um, how they deliver the tools, and it seems to me they're very much focused on the in-browser use and not necessarily so much worried about keeping up with the latest reacting multi-phase models, for example. Yeah, I uh, I, I kind of go with them on that on that respect in terms of there have been a lot of updates to things, to, to open phone versions that just haven't, really touched me and with no compelling reason to to upgrade you know some of the things have a massive impact on on certain subsets of users so i can see how you can stick on a version and 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 just make it work if you know what i mean and the bits that don't work you stay away from because i don't think they claim to do everything do they I, I, i struggle to keep up a little bit um but before we disappear off the workflow bit if you want to do you want to touch on that a bit more before we go off on um, you know code that lives in the browser that you never see and that sort of thing so my um, my thought the workflow was um, having a think about the different requirements and practices when you've got a development workflow versus a production workflow so I think for production workflows and the things that you've just been talking about where um, you've got your car model and you, you know what you're doing and you've been doing automotive stuff for a while and you just uh, crank in Cranking the handle. You know you know how to run it. You know how to make sure you've got your common geometry, put it on S3 and Amazon or whatever, and just fire wing mirrors and um, fenders and wheel arch vents and all that kind of stuff at it, and that's happy days. Um, and for me, that's – I mean, it, it's pretty much for me a no-brainer from a cloud perspective in that situation. I'm, I'm wondering more about workflows that you know 
you don't know what they are, you know what you want to do, but you don't necessarily how are you going to go about it. I'm not maybe just sticking to the, our more um, experienced area of open foam on cloud, AWS or whatever. I'm not sure how beneficial the cloud is for building a workflow if your workflow is complex. So if you've got things that might fall over with particular grid sensitivities. So back to the um, complicated multi-phase reacting oiler foam stuff, okay. open, open foam. Um, I, I, I mentioned that because that's something I had a little bit of experience with a couple of years back when I was doing a little bit of consultancy work in oil and gas. Um, and I had my workstation here. And I know at the time that you were still heavily clouded and I hadn't done it as much as I have recently. But for me, I felt quite, I'd felt nervous about trying to replicate what I was doing, um, building that workflow on a remote machine just because of the, oh, hang on, there's something that's cropped up here. Now I fix problem C and problem D is this, and I've got to go and do that. That kind of finding your way around what's going on when you're building your, your kind of baseline model um, didn't, didn't strike me as something that would have been enabling from an efficiency perspective. So I was much more comfortable at the time um, sat on a local machine. Now, to be fair, I didn't go and try it on um, a cloud resource, but I just had the perception that all the little bits of the jigsaw that I was trying to piece together and find as I went along didn't didn't make me feel that the cloud was the place to be trying to do those things. I can I, I hear that. Um, I think the sort of two comments on that are one that I found anyway that are one it is kind of imperative to sort of keep the two to to find a workflow that keeps what you're doing locally and what you're doing remotely in sync because um, it's just too tempting to fire up a text editor and edit something remotely and then you've 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 diverged not in the solution blowing up point of view but you've got one thing on your local machine and one thing remotely and unless you make a concerted effort to keep those two um, in sync you can easily find yourself having something that works somewhere that you think is the same as what it is somewhere else and the the two don't agree or don't work and that that can be tricky that again that's a that's a workflow thing that can be surmounted um but the other thing that comes to mind from from that aspect is cloud and it's something i i think is a benefit um so i'll spin it positively is that cloud very much puts compute cost front and center you can't ignore it so if there's a huge onus on you to to get it right because you're straight wasting money if you if you're not paying attention or you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and whilst most of the time that's good and it's good for reducing errors and and things like that i can see how it's also could easily discourage experimentation and particularly in that phase what if i tried this well it's going to cost me this much i can't be bothered um etc um and when the the cost is hitting you in the face it can be a positive but i can also see how it could be could be a negative too and i could see how if you only had so many credits available on a cloud platform you might be disinclined to 
try these things or to to step through a model refinement process you know i shall change one thing at a time to evaluate how this um, affects my model and get to a point where i know what's working and what's not uh, as opposed to yeah, i'm going to do this i'm going to do that that this that and that and that i'll lump them all together hope it works and hope i only have to pay for it once yeah absolutely and i didn't mention it explicitly but the, that cost pressure was something that i was aware of so the way I was working at the time was I'd made a single investment for some hardware and I, you know, uh, was kind of amortizing that against projects that I was doing. Um, and the fact that that was nominally a fixed cost for this piece of work um, was a good thing, um, given that you don't know how long it's necessarily going to take you to get something up and running. Um, from a time perspective, if you then add a cost perspective to that as well, that was that was something that I wouldn't have been comfortable with. So maybe that's just a, the other side of that coin. However, the one thing that has occurred to me whilst you were talking was um, the thing that I missed was um, having developed um, the model architecture and uh, workflow locally. When I got it working, um, the thing that I was then missing was if I'd have spent that time and effort and maybe the, the slightly increased financial risk of doing it on the cloud, um, I could have then fired up a lot more CPUs to address my relatively complicated yeah. multi-phase problem, and I wouldn't have had to leave my uh, workstation sitting thinking about it for about 10 days. Yeah, so, nice. So I guess there's a little icing on the cake there that I should probably highlight, but whilst you might feel more uncomfortable doing the workflow development on the cloud, once you've done it, you've then suddenly got um, a lot more disposable compute power um, immediately accessible. So so what if we took that um, ability to do something locally away from you and you could only do it on the cloud and you could only do it um, on a code that was made available to you on a on a platform that so you had essentially no control over the code and also no control over the the platform how would that sort of impact your workflow um I, or maybe not workflow maybe just your thinking if you know what i mean um i would i mean referring back to that particular example i'm not sure i would have taken that project on um so it was i guess the the risk of that project was was involved in developing um, the correct methodology for it was essentially a, a baseline solution and and one look see to try and um, understand if there could be some simple performance improvements now the I, I didn't know that I could do it when I took it on but I believed that in the open phone framework those if, projects they, scare the living daylights out of me yeah they do but they're also fun um, they're the ones where you'd learn and you'd get a couple of sleepless nights and then you'd have a nice bottle of whiskey when you do it. Um, don't get me wrong, you shouldn't do them all the time. Um, yes. Every now and again, they're good to take on. Um, and they kind of force you to learn um, and back yourself a little bit. So my the reason I took that on was I had sufficient confidence in my ability to either get the right solver working in open foam straight away or to be able to make the changes I needed in order to get it working um, correctly for this problem. And so that was very much in line with the open source, um, get yourself up the learning curve, fix your own problems philosophy. I don't think 
I would have taken it on if I would have had that flexibility removed because then it wouldn't have only been on my back to sort it out. It would have been on the, um, the whatever the code supplier. Um, I don't know whether you'd call that for like the, these cloud people that we're talking about, but you know, the, the vendor who's then prescribing a particular version of a software and maybe exposing not all of its native open source functionality because of the reasons of delivering it to you in a nice web-based GUI. So for me, that could very well have been a showstopper. The sort of other flavor of, of cloud CFD provider that kind of came up in our list last time was the, again, their startups uh, and sort of new entrants to the marketplace, but those that are using the, the cloud to be able to leverage or take advantage of newly available hardware architectures. So I, I'm not all across the different, all these different flavors of, of GPUs. They should have better names. Um, but I also don't have a P100 or whatever they called. I certainly don't have 128 P100s or uh, whatever it was. I saw something run on the other day. Um, have you got a V100? I haven't got any hundreds. <laughs> I've got a laptop. They're, they're, they're the new shiny ones. Oh, are they? Yeah. Are they, have they got a na- are they named after some famous old physicist? Is it a, like a Kepler? Oh, Volta. Hence so the, the P one hundreds, I think, were Pascal, and then the Vs are Volters. So, um, yeah, the Volters are about ten times faster for some little test cases I was doing than the the Ps. It's all about the Vs. What I hadn't realised was, well, to to quite the extent that it applies, is that these are these are not your grandma's graphics cards. These are uh, these are serious bits of kit. Um, and not everybody's got them, and they're certainly not the sort of thing that ships with your Dell or whatever, are they? <laughs> no. So um, uh, looking at the price of the Volters, I think there's probably a, a list of about three or four cars that I would very much like to have, and I think I could probably buy all of them separately um, for less than a Volta. So, yes, absolutely. Not your common and garden graphics processing unit by any means. So I can see the 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 value prop there of being able to offer your bespoke gpu accelerated or gpu native if you like um cfd code on a hardware that i otherwise don't have and can't access um well, via yeah, the cloud well yes but you uh, here's here's the thing then here's so, the rub uh, waving my flag so this is obviously a little bit of an aws plug but the the volters i think are about 10 grand a pop um, but um, AWS, they're a dollar an hour. Yeah, so the so it's just it's like four orders of magnitude. Oh no! But what I mean is just uh, being able to um, being able to make that. So I mean, I, I don't know what's going on in the background. I think I saw a a, a post from from Envenio. I mean, they're they're doing they're doing this sort of thing that they'd move to uh, to Google Cloud. Um, so they're kind of enabling it via a, a public cloud by the look of it. Um, and they're kind of making it, making it work for me so that I can just run it on that, that hardware, but being able to, to access a completely new flavor of hardware that, uh, that I'm not going to, that I'm never going to buy as opposed to, um, oh, I can just about run it on my desktop under the, under the desk. Uh, I'll make do. Um, I, that 
being able to to offer this access to 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 new hardware, whether it's via a proprietary platform or whether it's via a public cloud, I think access to these brand new types of hardware is a is a fairly compelling case for the cloud if you have a requirement to run these um, new fairly exotic CFD codes. I think that's right. I think that so the interesting thing for me is um, I think the Invenio instance is is GPU targeted as you've said and I think they're still kind of building their sort of front end. It's not um, it's not in a browser tab like the SimScale offering is. Um, so I think they they've got a tie up with Pointwise, haven't they? The yes. Guys. So that's that's the meshing front end, and then you'll um, kick off into their uh, whizbang GPU solver. So I guess kind of keeping the workflow theme. That's they've obviously thought about it. Um, I'm just wondering whether that's maybe as smooth as you might see with what you'll get from SimScale. Um, and I guess I, mean, I guess my perception is that a lot of the work has been GPU numerics and maths and stuff and, and speed then it's a case of um, turning that from, is it just a single phase aerotype solver and then you're going to do some heat transfer and then compressible and all those bits and bobs, um, which is quite a different starting point from SimScale that's then using OpenFoam that's got nominally all of those different flavours depending on, on what you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, there's this there's this old theory um, regarding kind of market disruption and things like that, that um, in the initial instance an integrated offering or an integrated player will dominate so somebody that wraps all the elements that you need to do up into one integrated offering will always dominate in the in the initial stages of any market Um, but as the individual bits of the the individual requirements of of what you need to to do this offering get commoditized and modularized and become in and of themselves good enough and you can stick them together yourself to make a new thing um there's a shift towards that modularization so initially an integrated thing like simscale where you don't have to do anything um is a is a great offering and a great uh, a great option because individually the individual bits of it kind of don't work the uh the the hardware that you can get hold of isn't really what you want and you can't really run your software on it and you have this thing of data transfer that you can't quite get around. Um, But as those individual aspects evolve, it comes to the point where you can break it apart into this modular offering and then piece it together and, 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 and sort of cook your own, if you like. Yeah, I, I think we might be getting towards towards some of that. No, I think that makes sense. Um, I just think it's quite—it's one of those things of, I guess, the expectation from the commercial solvers, solvers of old, the old school finite volumes used CPUs have, have always kind of built around the physics breadth. Um, and I think you're right. So that focus on um, people who don't necessarily need that physics breadth, but now have um, quick accessibility to something that should be nice and fast and hopefully easy to use from a kind of front end and interaction perspective, um, they'd be straight straight knocking on Invenio's door. So it'll be interesting to see how they 
how they move along. I think it's also quite interesting that they seem to be targeting some new markets, as we said before, and it's um, they're all going after the same new markets. There's a whole bunch of HVAC. Um, what's the architectural thing? BIM, what does that stand for? Building something. Information like. management or something. Uh, there you go, yeah. Um, so they're, all of those are kind of starting to play in that new area. Although, lot- although to have a little bit of a whinge, if I see another pedestrian comfort simulation, I think I'm going to just scream. <laughs> have you, um, did you? Did I send you the link to the um, Ingrid Cloud one? Yep. Oh, okay, so I can't send you that and make you scream. Um, so those, um, I don't really know anything about their solvery stuff. I don't know if that's GPU-based or not. Um, there may or may not be an episode later in the series that you may want to listen to uh, okay jolly good uh, all will be revealed it, well um, so, some of it will be revealed I think some of it's secret source okay there's always some secret source there gotta um, be. yeah so um, I had a little play around or tried to have a play around with um, with their service and it all looks very um, smooth and uploads some SDLs and uh, minimize your setup and you you want to do an external aero thing or uh, your favorite topic pedestrian comfort um, but yeah I, I, it wouldn't let me upload my stl file which is a bit annoying um, i wanted to do a little test case so i guess i guess the point i'm trying to make there is that i i, I wonder how much the new guys have covered all of the usability grounds so they've got some new WYSI secret source and tech and that might be gpu solvers it might be um, I think the Ingrid Cloud guys are supposedly quite funky with their clever meshing algorithms. Um, but I guess you've kind of got to make it all come together with getting new people on board with it is actually very quick and easy to use. And you have faith in the answers, which I guess is the other bit that maybe you were leaning towards with the you don't get to see the code. Um, you get to have the nice experience in the browser or or whatever remote access terminal you've got. But then you've still got the, I guess it's the same as the commercial um, the, the commercial software providers of old, if you've got support to talk to, if you're not sure about whether your simulation is sufficiently accurate or converged or all these other things. Yeah, but with the with the sort of software as a service offering, my, my worry was, I mean, I'm sure they've addressed this, but my worry was always things like versions changing whilst you're in the middle of a project or something like that, because they can. Um which doesn't really happen with sort of on-premise software. And there might be a new version rollout, but you've probably got a grace period before you need to, before it goes like end of life and you can't, uh, you, you you must upgrade. Um, and hopefully that won't hit you in the middle of a project or something like that. But I can, you know, it's one thing, your, your cloud accounting package or Gmail looking different next time you log in. Um, but having a, a version bump in the middle of a project seems a bit scary to me. Yeah, I, I guess it'd be interesting how they would manage it. I mean, one one perception is just kind of stay where they are because they don't need the, back to the SimScale Sim example, they don't need to push the bleeding edge for the multi-phasey stuff. Yeah, just bug fixing. Uh, just bug fixing and then making it all hang together with remoting off to whatever cloud providers they use and all, all the other things. Um, but I guess they'd have to they'd have to mention that or at least allow you to keep your model set up as it was and not enforce any changes either in terms of the options you're choosing or what's actually going on behind the scenes um, and allow you to upgrade or not whenever you see fit. 
think that technically on the back end, that's quite a difficult thing to do. Well, yes, unless you're kind of rigid in the sticking to a particular version and then yes. if you want to upgrade for whatever reason, then I guess that means you've got to go off behind the scenes and back out all the possibilities of what, you know, changes to accuracy or, or anything else that might be a result of going from 2.3 to 3.0, say, from the open phone example. But surely that's that's almost an insurmountable headache because that means you've just kind of got to do a back-to-back of what all of your customers are running, which could be, I think, the SimScale user base. I can't remember how big it was last time we spoke about it, but it's a big number. Um, that That's not really a manageable situation, is it? It's more a case of communicating to your users what you're intending to do. Uh, here's a beta option of all of the you know version three of open foam or five or whatever please would you go and try it on your current models and see if you'd be happy to switch to it i guess is the only way you'd do it yeah you'll always get the ones that won't switch i had a yeah uh, um there was a, an academic in my department years and years ago who was still running kind of fluent single digit because he'd written a paper on it and he wanted to uh he kept reusing the data in his paper for for like 25 years or something like that so uh, when they finally switched it off he was not a happy bunny <laughs> i think it impacted his you know re- impact score and things like that yeah i mean i, I guess i'd make a similar related point maybe to um Ingrid Cloud and their um, secret meshing source. Um, if you if you can't see, I mean, I guess I, get, I take the point of um, there's a whole number of input parameters that you can, if you want to, get into for for configuring mesh resolution and quality and all bits and bobs. And I totally see the value in um, allowing people to not have to get into that for workflow ease. Um, and you know kind of managing efficient processes and getting quick results but i i guess the the thing that worries me there is if you've got geometry that's changing significantly how do you know what the secret source is doing is sufficiently responsive for your big geometry changes that you've not got one of your favorite topics um, a mesh sensitivity sorry i thought you said mesh sensitivity i did Mm. Um, Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I think there's a uh, it's it's a sort of adaptive mesh thing that um, people who are proponents of that would say that um, with the error estimation and what have you that the you you're getting to the you're getting to the the right point every time anyway. So any discrepancy between the uh, uh, between the grids is is catered for if you like is is taken into account um i I can i can buy that to uh, to some extent it's not it doesn't fit with my my experience necessarily but it also isn't my it's not my workflow but i mean that that sort of brings us around to the the whole thing about it cfd is such a broad church for want of a better description that there's so many people doing so many different things that i'd 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 struggle to get my head around the, the the task that some of these startups have got for themselves of trying to you'll always have somebody coming at you with some bizarre edge case it would probably drive you mad um i can sort of see why people go for vertical apps in terms of yep yeah, it works for this application yeah but i want to do this well it doesn't work for that that's not what we advertised um i can certainly see the the uh, the appeal from that point of view um 
it took the the general purpose codes a long time to become general purpose codes um and uh, it's a heck of a task for some of the startup people you said you had a point that you were going to surprise me with what was that one oh it was the workflow thing oh okay cool yeah (laughs) i wasn't too surprised then you didn't even blink did you no just boom in my stride um where do you think it's going then this um in terms of the the impact on the on the industry where where are we going are we going towards this um the ability to sort of roll your own that that's going to become a bigger thing or are the commercial codes going to get their act together a little bit more and hoover up the market in terms of uh, if you can just press a button and they have some clever way of whooshing your big model that you've just mashed over to some um, machine that they own somewhere and, and doing the doing the solve for you kind of a bit like um, I think that was kind of what the, the cool sim guys were doing when I spoke to them that's that's quite a long way a long a long way in the past that I'm, I'll probably get it wrong but um, or are we are we all heading down the road of, of CFD in the browser which one who, who's going to win um, not names to sort of um, who's going to win okay, approach so- wise I'm pausing because I I had names that I was just going to. I'm going to well I'll say it anyway. So um, Go on, then. I, I guess in my mind I'm, I'm wondering whether the if driver. This, if this affects the sponsorship of this podcast, then there's going to be trouble. But go. Who's sponsoring it? Oh, we don't know. We, we don't know yet. Okay, oh, <laughs> we're going to see who likes it and they can post sponsor it. Um, okay, so I mean, I guess the thing in my mind is I don't. My perception is that the commercial guys haven't necessarily been pushing cloud. Um, and now that might can not I, be right. That's my perception. Can I, I, I tell us? Can I tell a story there before I forget about it? Go on. Then. It was of a, uh, a a well-respected sales friend of ours. The uh, those amongst you will will be able to tell who that might have been. Um, who was saying that um, when faced with a cloud option to sell and a local option to sell the salesman who loses an account for a, a perpetual license by selling the the cloud option is not going to be very popular you know here's here's the uh, here's the perpetual license that we lost because this guy's gone to his on demand um, option we're still getting some money off him but he only does three simulations a year and that's all we're going to get off him now whereas previous, for the last 30 years he's been buying a perpetual Yep, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, so that kind of backs up where I was coming from, that the commercial guys haven't been pushing it, so they've been responsive to um, client-consumer demand, which is fine. Um, I think that all makes sense. Um, and then the name I was going to pull out was um, our friends at Ansys and their Discovery Live model, which is something that they have been pushing, um, and we did a, a big chat about that a while back. Um and talking more about getting simulation CFD into the hands of designers. So I think you and I are pretty agreed that it's, it you know, from what we've seen, it's an amazing tool. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of potential value um, and business for them in that area. And so I'm just trying to wonder how that, that then kind of sits against the cloud. So you've got the commercial guys who haven't been pushing cloud and been a bit responsive. 
And the thing that they've been pushing, particularly ANSYS, which I think has got legs, Discovery Live, doesn't really strike me as something that's aligned with responding to consumer client requests for cloud computing. They're saying, look, you just, okay, you might have to spend 10 grand or whatever it is um, on a slightly more expensive workstation that happens to have a reasonably chunky GPU in it. Which is but probably coming done, anyway. Uh, well, we, uh, once you've done that, you don't have to worry about any of this other stuff because you've got live, real-time kind of design guidelines, whatever level of accuracy you kind of want to get into with uh, with some of that real-time information i don't think that's kind of where they're going but it's it's a different um it's almost a, it's not really i was about to say it's a different mindset it's not far off it it's a very it's quite a quite a significant change to how you go about doing the modeling and getting it into your design process with that tool set um definitely in the design workflow so that was what was in my mind of where it's going is from a commercial perspective and i imagine there's going to be a similar response with some of the other commercial guys but it kind of, for me, I don't think they're necessarily trying to kill the cloud, but it certainly kind of cuts across some of the cloud benefit that I think some of the other consumers would have been pushing. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I don't see how those two things sit that well together. I could see it in the case of something like um, if that software was, or that technology was within something like uh, Fusion 360, or on shape, for example, where you were pulling around CAD in your browser and then there was a GPU somewhere that was computing your real-time CFD. So you'd got the kind of best of, of both worlds there. Um, I don't know how, whether the technology exists to be able to sort of push that kind of real-time graphics um, from a remote system to, but I'm sure it probably does in terms of there'll be some There'll be some games engine somewhere that can handle that in a trivial manner, I'm sure. So if the if the product was remote as well, but that then takes us back to a sort of completely um remote solution where you don't have you don't have any local um software and you access it all through the browser, I could see that that route being being quite compelling and the fact that you could if necessary, you know, if if beyond a certain point on the accuracy slider, it turns into a different sort of simulation, but almost seamless, you know, it turns into who knows what's going on in the background anyway, but um, it turns into something more recognisable as a, as a traditional CFD simulation and it, it'll notify you when it's busy. But that's only if you turn it up to max, you know, you only turn it up to 11 or something like that. The rest of the time, it's it's real time and, and nice. Yeah, I could see that. It, it's a there's a tension between the on demand and the prevailing license models, I guess, um, for the for the commercial vendors. And they still they still have the biggest portion of the pie. Perhaps it, not in terms of who knows in terms of compute hours or something like that, because there's there's obviously no restriction when you've when you've got an open source solution. But in terms of sort of market share, they uh, it's going to take it's going to take something special to to dethrone them, and I don't think it's cloud. No, but I think as we've covered, a lot of the a lot of the new guys are in the cloud space, and I think that's where they'll grow up. The interesting thing for me is 
how does that change where they'll be in five to ten years compared to the current commercial guys who kind of grew up on local compute um i I don't know whether that leads you down a different path kind of with your foundations in a different place Um, i'm sure i'm sure it probably does i don't think cloud's going anywhere um I don't think, you know, the big players, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, going at So I think from a kind of facility perspective, it's always going to be there. There's always going to be folks like you and I who want to use it with an open source kind of in your own handsy tool set. Um, and I think the commercial guys will be forced to play in that field just because they can't leave it. You know, they, they, can't, they can't neglect it from a business risk perspective. They've got to have something in that space for the, you know, to satisfy the people that, that want to work that way, um, even if it does cost um, account managers some some grief when they report back into HQ, then I just think that's a, a kind of hit that they'll have to take. Yeah. Yeah. So we haven't got an answer of there, have we? <laughs> so what, what sort of answer were you looking for? Cloud's going to rule or cloud's going to die? I've just kind of gone cloud sitting on the fence, haven't I? Yeah. Um, and I, I, from from what where we've been with it, I think I uh, I would agree at the moment. I don't think it becomes obvious which direction it's going to go in. There's obviously going to be more cloud offerings. The cloud, in terms of public cloud and things like that, is going to become more suit more capable, uh, more suitable for for CFD. There's going to be more um, options. It's going to become more commoditized. You know, there's going to be no difference between who you get your compute from um it's just going to be a a choice of who's got it cheapest more than likely and then you pay your money you take your choice um i think the uh, the point we've got to is that it's it's sort of wait and see which way the the commercial guys jump in terms of um what that what that aspect of the market's gonna gonna turn into um you know, I can't see. It's a long way away for for some of these big, big, big CAE customers to to jump all in with with cloud simulation. I think I don't know. I might be wrong. Um, I, I can see that. I guess the thing that I'm wondering is just from a kind of general perspective of the broader context of businesses and individuals. Ten in ten years' time. I, you know, I certainly don't believe that our children are really going to own computers in the same way that you and I have. Um, so I think a lot more of the general population will just become more comfortable and more acclimatized to remote compute power for whatever they would want, whether that be home interests or hobbies or, or workplace activities. So I'm just wondering, you know, take a longer term view, 10 to 15 years, if there's just a general shift away from owning your own hardware. Just a drift. Yeah, it doesn't, you know, it's, I don't think it necessarily would be a step change, but just as, you know. Um, you don't buy your next box. You you, you've, you you may have one at the moment, but maybe you never buy another one. Right. Right. And certainly I think folks who are younger than us will be more inclined to steer away from hardware ownership than, um, than we have been. Are these pesky maybe millennials? I, I don't. What's the ones after millennials? Oh, there's the one. Yeah, they're, they're babies, aren't they? Well, the people. So, okay, millennials are what the zeros. I don't. I don't know. I think. Oh, yeah, de- depends who you talk to. We we can we can almost sneak into millennial if you uh, I, if you pay I thought, attention. Yeah, 
I thought the category was was broad enough when I said people who are younger than us. But, you know, if you, if you need to be more specific. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, there might just be that general uh, uh, consumer level shift that kind of plays into this field a little bit where yeah. people just generally don't go for the hardware ownership um, 10, 15 years down the line. I can see that. Yeah, in which case cloud will end up kind of well, ruling in that sense, but I still think, I don't think that's going to be um, something that will have the commercial guys over. They'll just have to learn to play in that field a little bit differently from how they do at the moment. But they, they'll, uh, I'm sure they'll pick it up. Yeah. I, uh, well, I'm not worried about them. No, <laughs> I don't think we should be. So that feels like, is that, that's at least an hour and a half on the cloud, isn't it? That's a wrap. Should we get off the cloud? Get off the cloud. Get off the cloud. Um, what are we going to get on then? <laughs> well, I think um, I think we should uh, bite the bullet and read the big document. Oh, that NASA one. Well, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. If you if I'm if you're going to buy into it, you can read the NASA one, or we can read the UK government one. I don't mind. I think we should do a big up read the document, tear it downy type episode. Okay. Go on. I'll try. That sounds like actually. To be fair, from what I've read already, it sounds like some of it I'm not going to have a, a huge amount to say on, but uh, some of it I, I will. So uh, yeah, let's let's do that. It might not be an in-depth takedown, but uh, yeah, let's give that a go. Great stuff. And then then we're doing a GDPR episode, yeah. That well, if you if you have a psychological need, then then by all means, I'll I'll sit and listen. No, um, no, it's fine. <laughs> I thought, I, you've got that one off your shoulders, though, right? I've seen the emails. It's all done. All good, um, as far as anybody knows. The <laughs> um, the other one was today. I, I've 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 managed to have an idea for a business, get excited about it, and then write it off all in the space of one day. That cycle used to take weeks, but now I can do it in a day. Uh, can you s- summarize that in a minute? No. It's secret because it, 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 it may well come back to life. Who knows? Okay. Well, that's a teaser to end the show, isn't it? Yes. Right. I'm going to go and read this NASA thing. <laughs> okay. Great stuff, Robin. Cool. Cheers, Simon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.